And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, uh, today's word of the day is gaslighting. Uh, That is actually (laughs) Merriam-Webster's word of the year after a 1700% surge in search for the word gaslighting. It's actually interesting because I'm right in the midst of writing an article uh, talking about climate change and the gaslighting of Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably have that out first of the year, but I've been been writing this. But it's interesting because I was already writing this before the word became the word of the year. So it should track well on SEO when it comes out. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, kind of the interesting thing about this is that you know, you know, it's it's a change of psychology, right? So this this whole word goes back to the early 1940s. There was a a, a play out at the time, and and you know, talking about gaslights and and the lead character of the play, he convinces his wife that the the dimming of the gaslights out in the streets at night was all in her imagination. And, th- and that's where the word kind of originally originated from. And so as we, as we look at this, you know, and, and talk about the markets as it, as it stands, you know, one thing that markets have been doing well is kind of gaslighting themselves in a lot of, uh, in a lot of uh, ways because we keep having these rallies in the markets despite the fact that the Fed is still saying, hey, we're gonna hike rates. Right, we're gonna hike rates until we get inflation down, and then the market starts telling themselves, "But yeah, but maybe they're gonna pivot. <laughs> you know, maybe the Fed's gonna pause here. You know, maybe they'll pivot. We saw inflation come down a little bit. Maybe they'll stop hiking rates." And so they kind of keep gaslighting themselves into this whole idea that we can have these rallies in the markets, and then the Fed comes out. So watch it now. It was interesting because yesterday I was on Charles Payne. Uh, on Fox Business talking about this very same thing is that he was like, hey, if we can get above the 200-day moving average, that should be good for the markets. Well, yeah, that's true, right? If we do get above the 200-day moving average, that would certainly open up the way for markets to move higher. But as I was saying this yesterday, markets were selling off because James Bullard, president of the Federal Reserve from St. Louis, comes out and says, hey, we're going to hike rates, people. We're hiking rates until we get inflation under control. That's our big That's our big thing right now. And every time we rally these markets, the Fed has to come out, and this is what I was uh, telling Charles Payne, is that the Fed is does not want these rallies in the markets because when markets rally, it eases financial conditions. That is exactly the opposite of what the Fed is trying to achieve. The Fed is trying to hike rates in order to tighten financial conditions, slow economic growth, have a recession, theoretically, which will bring down demand and inflation, right? Because inflation is price-driven. It's just supply, more, more demand than there is supply. That's what we've got going on in the markets. That's what we had happen. That's how we got here. We gave people $5 trillion worth of liquidity. They went out and bought stuff at a time. The economy was shut down. We couldn't produce anything. And we have inflation. Now it's starting to reverse, and yes, inflation is starting to come down, but it's going to take a little while to work that liquidity, you know, out of the, that, that pig in the python, so to speak, out of the system. It's going to take a little while, and we'll get there. But every time the markets rally, that eases these financial conditions, 
which is exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants. And this is why at every one of these peaks that we go back, the Fed has come out and said, stop rallying because <laughs> we don't like it and we're going to say something. Remember back in August at this last peak in the markets, the Federal Reserve, James uh, Jerome Powell, was at Jackson Hole Summit. He's getting ready to give his speech. 15 minutes before he gives his prepared speech, scraps the whole thing, writes a whole new real short speech, comes out and says, hey, we're tightening rates. We're nowhere near the neutral rate. You know, just to, to, to steal a quote from his 2018 speech when he crashed the markets. Um, this is exactly what the Fed's trying to do here. So yesterday, markets sold off. Again, we're just stuck inside of this trading range that we've now been in for the last couple of weeks. Not really going much of anywhere right now, but we do have a very defined wedge starting to get built here. So if markets do break down out of this wedge to the downside, we're going to have another retracement again. That's possible as we start talking about where we kind of wind up over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, we, we've talked about mutual fund rebalancing. They've got to make dist annual distributions going in the first couple of weeks of December. So a little bit of press downward pressure on stocks wouldn't be surprising. A bit of a rally into the end of the year. Santa Claus, uh, kind of that Santa Claus rally, quarter four window dressing. A little bit of rally in the first week or two of January as, in, as money managers get stuff back on their books. But then we start to get in a little bit of trouble as we start getting into quarter two, particularly in quarter three. That's where all these rate hikes from the Fed are going to show up. That's where your recessionary pressures start to come in. And that's going to be a little bit more troubling for the markets at that point because earnings haven't priced yet for a recessionary environment. In other words, earnings are going to have to come down more, which means if earnings and estimates come down, that means also prices have to come down at some point. So again, we've got potential risk to the downside as we get into next year. We want to be careful with that. But in the short term, markets are very close to triggering um, this MACD buy signal that we've been talking about here for a while. It was a very good entry point on this MACD buy signal. We started talking about adding exposure to portfolios, trading this rally. That's been a very good rally here to trade at the moment. But again, we're now very close to that turning back lower. And that's going to suggest more downward pressure on stocks, at least for a couple of weeks until that reverses itself. One other aspect um, that we've been talking about here lately to watch is the volatility index because that index itself has been kind of a good key indicator of the markets. These, when the volatility index gets down to around 20, we actually wrote about this in last weekend's newsletter. So if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, just click on the uh, insights tab, just click on the newsletter, uh, you'll get this week's newsletter. And we actually have a chart in here of the volatility index versus the S&P 500. And it's been very good this year. When the volatility index gets around to around 20 on the index, that's been a decent uh, kind of indicator of a market peak, at least in the near term. Uh, so if the, the volatility index turned up yesterday, we're going to see if we get some follow through on this. But again, if the index has bottomed here and we start working our way up higher, that's also going to suggest more downward pressure on stocks as well. So again, there are certainly some risk here. So as we've been talking about for the last few days, take this opportunity, raise a little bit of cash. Yesterday, we sold out of some of our energy stocks as well, raising some more cash in portfolios. And the reason that uh, we started reducing more of the um, exposure in energy, uh, in energy stocks as well and taking those positions off, look, they had a great run and made a lot of money in them. And of course, you know, back in 2021, November of 21, we we're talking about, hey, buy energy stocks here because nobody wants them. That turned out to be a really great trade this year. 
but energy prices have been coming down. In fact, energy prices are, are sitting around 79, 80 bucks a barrel right now. Energy stocks, and particularly if we take a look at, say, for instance, the, the energy ETF, uh, XLE, that has not come down at all. So now there's a historically very high correlation between energy stocks and oil prices, which you would expect because that's where their profits come from. There is a big divergence now between oil prices and energy stocks. So this is one reason why we took some more profits out of these. Generally what will happen here as we start getting you know, into a recessionary environment, oil prices will go lower. Recession, less demand, oil prices go lower. That's just the way it works that's gonna to start to bring down profit margins and earnings for these companies. A lot of people have been chasing oil stocks because of their outsized profits this year. That's great, but the lower the oil prices go, the more that's gonna eat in to their profit margins and into their earnings. So energy stocks, very overbought right now. Uh, taking a little bit of profit there, raising a bit more cash. So we're about 35% equity portfolio in our equity portfolio right now, 35% equity, a lot of cash. Uh, kind of work out what happens over the next month or so. Might get a trading opportunity. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So just talking a little bit before the break, you know, there's a interesting, you know, situation in the market. It's been going on all year. Fed has been very consistent about talking about their fight on inflation, hiking rates, and they're not going to stop until they get inflation down. Uh, that's going to require higher unemployment. We haven't seen that develop yet. Just starting to see some kind of early cracks in the foundation in terms of inflation starting to ease here a bit. Now, we've got some upcoming reports today and this week. Uh, we'll get GDP uh, coming out the, in terms of the third quarter. We'll get, take another look at that. We'll take a look at home prices today. Of course, home prices feed into inflation, so a much weaker home price index today, the Case-Shiller Index, which runs about a three-month lag, by the way. If that starts to show some signs of weakness in housing prices, which theoretically it should, then uh, that's going to you know, be a little bit bullish here for the markets, hoping that's going to feed into lower inflation. And again, we kind of keep gaslighting ourselves, hoping that every piece of weaker data is going to somehow magically get the Federal Reserve to take their foot off the gas. And that's just not going to be the case right now. Um, again, as James Buller said yesterday, look, we've got to do this, right? It's just their, their belief is, and this is key, 
is that inflation is a much bigger problem than a recession. Because if they don't fight inflation, it becomes entrenched. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But that's their, that's their plan. And so that is continuing to put pressure on stocks, did yesterday. Of course, we've had a decent rally, so you know, a 1.5%, 2 correction yesterday, no big deal. But again, just this is the way that we keep rallying this market. We keep rallying this market on hopes that we're going to reverse some type of monetary policy, go back to easing. Of course, we've been trained for that for a year. For, sorry, we've been trained for that for 12 years. And so here we are in a year where the market's down, right? We haven't had a down year in the markets of any consequence in 12 years. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, we're having a down year. Why aren't you bailing it out? Because this is what's happened every other time. Every time we've had a corrective market, <clears throat> the Federal Reserve has stepped in and started bailing out assets. We go back to 2010, the end of QE1. Market sells off about 20%. The Fed steps in and says, oh, got to do QE2. They run that for a year. Stop that. Markets start to sell off. We get into the whole debt ceiling default situation, blah, blah, blah. Fed starts doing Operation Twist. Putting liquidity into the markets. That starts to roll off. And, of course, you know, then at the end of, of 2012, as we're about to go into 2013, this is where the whole debt ceiling default uh, agreement was coming to an end. And there was big concerns over the fiscal cliff we were going to have this, this $1 trillion of spending cuts in the government cut through the economy like a red-hot knife. And, and so the Federal Reserve, very worried about that, launched QE3. Did another big round of quantitative easing. And, to, and the goal was is to offset this trillion dollars worth of spending cuts. So the Federal Reserve is going to spend a trillion dollars in effect. Of course, those spending cuts never really showed up. They were spread across 10,000 different agencies. It didn't amount to anything. So now the market's just on steroids because they have all this liquidity, and there is no economic issue at all weighing on the markets. So the markets rally. Then in 2014, 2015, late 2014, going into 2015, Janet Yellen says, we're going to start tapering the balance sheet. Sounds good. Then we get into Brexit. Market starts to decline. We're down 20%. Rally back a little bit. Drop 20% again. Wind up about where we were previously. At that point, the Federal Reserve calls Bank of England and, and uh, the ECB and says, hey, guys, y'all got to start doing QE. And so they took over the mantle and started doing QE. Fed tries to reduce their balance sheet a bit. Markets do okay. Get into 2018. Markets start getting a little bit sloppy. Trade war with China, other issues. Jerome Powell says, got to hike rates. Got to start tightening up. September 2018, he says, we're nowhere near the neutral rate. Market declines 20%. Jerome Powell backs off entirely. He says, hey, we're done. <laughs> No more hiking rates. Market starts to rally again. 2019, start cutting interest rates back to zero, doing QE behind the doors to bail out repo markets. 
something clearly wrong, wrote articles then about a recession was coming, October of 2019. February of 2020, we write articles, hey, taking money off the table, stepping out of the markets. Pandemic hits. Federal Reserve steps in. Massive QE programs, bailing out bond markets, zero interest rates still because they had lowered interest rates to zero back in July of the previous year. But just a full-on press to bail out everything. So here we are. And again, we finished the year on the positive side. Even after that 35% drop in March. So, you know, the point here is that what we trained investors to do over the past 12 years is that every time there's a bit of a problem, the Federal Reserve has gaslighted investors saying, don't worry about it, I'll be there. I'll bail it out. Don't worry about it. Even Jerome Powell just recently said, hey, we're not really worried about a downturn. We can bail that out. So they're aware of it. But now the problem is, is that investors, here we are down 15% for the year, 15, 16% after yesterday. It's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. The markets are down. I have a lot of people have never seen a down market, right? Never, never seen a market this down. It's like, oh my gosh, markets are down. Why isn't the Fed bailing out anything? Well, the, uh, clearly with the market down 15%, the mar- they're going to have to bail out the market. You know, and, and we keep deluding ourselves that, you know, every little piece of, of economic news that suggests weakness is going to lead to a Fed bailout. And, and eventually you'll be right, right? There is a point to where the Fed is going to step back in and start to bail out the markets. It's just a function of time. Just the question is when. Does it require another 20% drop in the markets? Does it require a break in some credit market? Does it require a big drop in housing prices? What, whatever it is, there is a point to where the Fed will say, okay, that's enough. We've got to step in and start bailing things out. Jerome Powell has even said that. But again, you know, this is the game, that, this kind of game of chicken that we keep playing with the markets, right? We keep running these markets up. And again, we talked about this rally, you know, five weeks ago. So, hey, markets are deeply oversold, super negative sentiment, going to have a rally. So here we, we got this rally. Now everybody's going, and it was like interesting yesterday when I'm on Fox Business. You know, the whole attitude is that this market's getting ready to roll, baby. We are getting ready to go to, you know, back to highs. Maybe it's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible. But the more this market rallies the worse that is for the Federal Reserve. And I think what you'll find is a more aggressive stance by the Fed to try to knock it back down again. Tough talk coming up on the December 14th Fed meeting. Could do the trick. A 75 basis point rate hike rather than 50 as expected certainly would do the trick. So I don't know what it's going to be. But there is this ongoing battle between the bulls of the market and the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has been clear and continues to be clear they are not dimming the gaslights. Bulls keep hoping they are. 
So we'll see how this all works out. But but this brings up a couple of interesting points, um, you know, and we'll touch on this. I've got an article out this morning talking about the next secular bear market. And it's on the website now. And, and, and you know, the important aspect is, is that what we forget, you know, in markets over time is earnings have to support prices. You can have periods of high valuation, but you can't sustain them for a very long period of time. And eventually valuate, and this is why valuations do matter. They're terrible timing devices, right? I mean, just because stocks are at 25 or 28 times earnings doesn't mean the market's going to immediately crash. That's not what valuations do. They don't tell you anything about what the market's going to do in the short term. But what valuations tell you very clearly is what your total return is going to be over long periods of time. And this is just a function that earnings matter. And despite the fact that we want to come up with all these excuses about and, and manipulations, by the way, let's use operating earnings. Let's use, let's use these made-up operating future earnings to make the market look cheaper. Well, that's not the way the market works. What matters is, is what companies actually earn. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. So stick around. The article's on the website right now. The next secular bear market may be upon us. Simply go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, while you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. Always happy to answer them. Answer them every day. Um, always get good questions, so feel free to do so. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So... As I was talking about on our website right now, I've got a new article out called The New Secular Bear Market May Be Upon Us. And the, and, the, and the point of the article is to really talk about valuations. There was an interesting comment made by Boaz Winstein of uh, Saba Capital Management. And he said that there isn't a rainbow at the end of all of this. There's no reason that this difficult economic period will only last two to three quarters and no reason to think we'll have a soft landing or a shallow recession. First of all, there is no such thing as a shallow recession. Um, 
most recessions end up being pretty pretty decent uh, in terms of the damage they do, uh, unemployment, those type of things. So recession, I, you know, people say, oh, we're going to have a soft recession. I, I'm not even sure what that means, but, you know, that's the hope that we just kind of glide down. We have the soft landing in the economy, just maybe a little bit of a pickup of employment. You know, maybe, maybe that happens. Uh, it's never happened before, but, you know, this time could always be the, the first time, right? Um, you know, this is, and this is an important kind of aspect, you know, you know, a, a secular market is something that lasts between five to 25 years. They last very long periods. And inside of those secular markets, you can have bulls and bears, right? You can have cyclical bull markets, cyclical bear markets in a period that where the market really goes nowhere. And again, you have to understand, you know, and you can't equate a secular bear market as saying, oh, stocks just go down for a very long period of time because that's not the case. Secular bear market periods are, are really periods of very low returns, right? It's just a, a very long period, 10, 12, 15, 20 years, where markets have basically just go up and down a lot and don't go anywhere. Doesn't necessarily mean you, you just have a declining asset price every single year. And inside these secular markets, you have some fantastic bull rallies and some pretty bad bear markets. They're all cyclical. They're short-term in nature, one to two years, three years, you know. And you wind up looking back over a period and you go, wow, we just spent 14 years going nowhere, i.e. the period from 2000 to 2014. And that happens. And it happens regularly throughout history. You have a period of, of rising asset prices called secular bull markets. And you have a long period of, of no returns. That's followed by another bear, a bull market, another bear market. Now, here's an interesting statistic for you. 100% of all the returns in the stock market came from five periods over the last 130, 40 years. If you were in, invested during those five periods, you made a lot of money. If you weren't, if you were invested in the other four periods in between those, you lost money. And this is, this is the problem of knowing where you are. So understanding that we've been through a, a period of extraordinarily strong asset price growth and understanding that prices are a derivative of earnings and earnings are a derivative of economic growth, the sustainability of earnings at these current levels in a return to a normal economic growth rate of, say, 2%-ish, it's going to be difficult without having a lot of Federal Reserve interventions. And this is kind of the key point. Over the last 12 years, well, let me back that up. Prior to 2008, or just say 9, 2009, the average return on, on asset prices going back to 1900 was about 8%. And that makes complete sense. 6% growth in the economy during that period uh, on average. Earnings grew at about 6%. Add inflation of about 2%, you get your 8% return. From 2009 to 2000, well, to present, we tacked on an additional 
four percentage points of return on top of that 8%. So stocks have been returning 12% over the last 12 years on average. In an economy that's growing at about 2%, inflation at 2%, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just, it just, and that's all a function of all this liquidity that we've been dumping into the markets for 12 years. That's not sustainable. Maybe sustainable for a while, but it's not sustainable. So there's three things that drive secular bull market periods. It's, it's multiple expansions, right? So that's people paying more for the underlying earnings. So, you know, earnings are a dollar. I'm willing to pay two, three, four, five dollars. And so the more I'm willing to pay for earnings and earnings growth, then multiples will expand and that drives that's a function of, of rising asset prices. We're paying more in the P for what we're getting in the E. Second thing is earnings growth. So for earnings growth to remain strong, you've got to have a strong economic growth environment. Fed's trying to hike rates. That's not great for strong earnings growth. And then, of course, you've got to have falling interest rates. Interest rates are high. They, that's a higher cost of capital. That impacts earnings. Of course, that also leads into inflation. So you need weaker interest rates. And there's a very clear history of this going back to 1900. And the, the, the periods are clear. The secular cycles are clear. You can kind of see what happens with valuations and all these type of things. You know, and so when we start talking about the next cycle, whenever it starts, and it doesn't, I'm not necessarily saying it's starting now, but one of the drivers is debt. And the question becomes, how much more debt can we continue to add onto the economy? Every time we get a new government installed, right? We're about to change over from a Democratic-controlled House to a Republican-controlled House. Fine. But really, things don't change. We just keep spending more and more and more and more, right? We don't cut spending. Of course, that requires more debt. We continue to have to issue more debt. Consumers getting further and further into debt. Right now, we just continue to see credit card rates rise, uh, credit card debt rise as rates rise. Consumers just trying to make ends meet. Um, you know, we talked about retail sales yesterday, that even though retail sales were nominally strong, highest level on record, People weren't buying more stuff. Actual real retail sales were negative. But that's because people were paying more for less stuff. But now they're having to resort to other forms of credit, right? Now they're having to for resort to these buy now, pay later items. MasterCard talking about 12% surge in credit card usage on Black Friday. 78% surge in these buy now, pay later options. But this is all debt. It's just debts in different forms, right? And so eventually it's got to be paid back. That bill comes due. Well, once the bill comes due, that extracts capital from where? Spending in the economy, right? If I'm spending money to pay off debt, I'm not spending it in the economy. So that subtracts from economic growth. I'm going to have to revive an article I wrote a while back called about uh, discussing the negative multiplier of debt. But this is a, you know, a function. 
And so as we start thinking about the next decade, and look, I'm not saying that the next decade is going to be terrible. I'm not saying that at all, but we have to think about these issues as we move forward. Mean reversions are a real and valid thing, and, and there are things that cause that. And right now, everybody's like, oh, don't worry about it. Things are going to be great. We're going to be fine. Just keep going. Maybe we do. Maybe we get through whatever happens with the Federal Reserve. They start cutting rates. Maybe we just continue on for another decade. It's possible, right? It's absolutely possible. 2008 was only 12 years ago. Again, what did I say? A secular cycle runs. It runs 5 to 25 years. So we're only 12 years into this one. If you want to call a full market cycle, we could actually make the case that this bull market started in 1980. So we're 42 years into this cycle, which when you take a look at real long-term market cycles, and we take a look at what we call full market cycles, right? The, that, that is the, the secular bull and the secular bear put into one cycle. Those last between 45 and 50 years. So we're only 42 years into this one. So there's, so there's, there's, an, there's a reason that you could continue to have the secular bull market, but it will eventually revert, right? And, and this is why you got to be careful with valuations. You can't say, oh, well, valuations are high. We're about to have a secular bear market. You can't say that because they're terrible timing devices. But what they are telling us, and this is, and, and this is the important part of this article that's on the website, we go through this discussion, is that you don't be afraid of the secular bear market, just be aware of it. That we could be entering a period where passive investing is not going to work. You're going to have to be a more active investor because there'll be some great ripping opportunities in the markets to make some money, but then you have to be smart enough to get out of the way of the next uh, you know, down cycle that occurs. And that's the thing we're going to have to be paying a lot more attention to. But that article's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll come back, close out the show for you this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
So the uh, latest FTX news, of course, we've talked about this ever since Sam Bateman freed, uh, fried, whatever. He may be fried by the time this is all over. Um, ever since FTX has blown up, uh, there's really lack of a better term. And, you know, what's interesting here, too, is two things. I was thinking about this this morning um, when I was reading this article. You know, every time we get into these bull market cycles, right, where we start having these moments of irrational exuberance. So you go back to, you know, 1998, 1999. I know a lot of you maybe weren't even born then. Uh, way back last century, Brent and I were much younger. <laughs> but at the time, markets were just going up. And like every day, no matter what happened, and again, you know, trading portfolios was easy. I'd go in in the morning, I'd buy some JDS Uniphase or some SDLI, and market would open, stock would be up 50 points, sell it, I'd go home for the day, be done, right? I mean, just, it was easy to make money and, and, and trade portfolios. But that exuberance, right? And this is where we had all kinds of companies going IPO at the time, right? Just couldn't get companies to public fast enough. We were bringing out the sock puppets. And, of course, it all ended badly with the dot-com crash. But at the peak of that was Enron, which turned out to be this massive fraud. Now, we can go all the way back to the 1920s, right? 1920 to 1929, banks were loaning money to the IPOs that they were underwriting, they were loaning money to customers so they could buy the IPOs that the banks were issuing. And this all led up to the big bubble in 1929 where stocks had reached a permanently high plateau. Of course, at the, the peak of that permanently high plateau was Charles Ponzi and the original Ponzi scheme. It's where the name comes from, where he was selling land in Florida. In 2008... At the peak of that financial crisis, Bernie Madoff, $50 billion fraud. 2020, we have this massive boom in the markets because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity. People just can't get assets fast enough. Too much money chasing, too few assets. People buying all kinds of stuff. IPOs, couldn't get IPOs out fast enough, so we started doing SPACs. Crypto becomes the... the investment of choice. And so here we go with the FTX, which may turn out, I'm not saying, I'm not making a claim, I'm not making a statement, it may turn out that it was a bit of a fraud. Intentional or not, right? Intentional or not. And, and that's this is clear. You know, I'm sure Charles Ponzi didn't mean I'm sure he had every intention of making everybody whole, right? So, you know, the whole the whole thing with the Ponzi scheme is, hey, I keep taking money from new people. I give them to the other people. I get them paid out. So, you know, the best way to be in a Ponzi scheme is be the first guy in, right? If you know it's a Ponzi scheme, be first because you'll get paid out. <laughs> everybody else doesn't. But it's not surprising that when you have too much money chasing too few assets, Somebody's going to take advantage of it. And we've had a lot of businesses become public investments. 
And just because a company's public doesn't mean it's a good investment, but nobody does homework anymore, right? Nobody does the due diligence. Just, is the, the whole due diligence process is the price going up. I don't really care about the fundamentals. Is the price going up? That's because we're gambling in the markets. We're not investing anymore. You know, and this is the this is when you go to think about investing, this is the way you should approach investing. If Brent came to you with this idea and said, Hey Bob, would you give me a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars? Pick your pick your investment amount, right? Whatever it is. I've got a business where I want to build a product to supply waterproof diapers to monkeys, whatever. It may be a great idea. I haven't, you know, I just pulled that out of the top of my head, but maybe it's a great idea. Maybe there's a big need for waterproof diapers for monkeys. And somebody's going to go, that's brilliant. I'm going to do it. I'm just saying. But the point is, is what's the first question you're going to ask? First thing you're going to think of is like, wow, that's stupid. Uh, second thing is, is like, okay, but maybe it's a viable business, right? So Brent, show me some financials. You know, have you sold anything yet? Have you produced the product? Do you have a prototype? You know, is there a market for this? You start asking all these kind of important fundamental questions. And oh, by the way, you also ask Brent, what kind of person are you? Maybe do a background check, right? Make sure you're getting in bed with an honest person. It's always important. But you do some due diligence, right? Because in the back of your mind, the reason you know that is like, well, hey, you know, this guy could, A, Brent could be a complete scammer, or B, I don't want to invest money in a stupid business that could lose money and lose my money in particular, right? We're very sensitive about that money. But for some reason, when it comes to investing in the markets, we just go, oh, what the hell? Just is the price going up, right? We don't look at the person running it, you know, anything else. Does he have any experience running a business? How's the business being run? You know, we don't even look at financial statements anymore, right? Just, is the price going up? And that's the purest form of speculation. That's simply going, you know, raise your hand, not if you're driving, but raise your hand if you've ever been to Vegas, right? Now, raise your hand if you really don't know that much about gambling, but you went there because it was fun. Okay, right? Now you start, look, there are people that are professional gamblers, and they understand everything about playing poker or Texas Hold'em or Blackjack, whatever their game is, they understand that game. They understand the odds. They understand what happens. They know when to hold them. They know when to fold them, et cetera, right? They're professionals at that game. Most of us, including me, when I play poker, I'm an amateur, right? I know the rules, but I can't tell you the odds of a full house, right? And here's my point about this, is that when we're gambling, we're gambling. We're doing it for fun. We know we're probably going to lose. We hope we're going to win, but we know we're probably, when we go to Vegas, we know we're probably going to lose a, a chunk of our money, right? We treat the markets exactly the same way. And this is something that we've got to start changing about the way we think when we invest. Is this company good? or not fundamentally, who's the guy running it? Go back to doing some homework. And just because it's going up in price doesn't necessarily mean it's a, it's a, it's a good investment. 
Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because these Ponzi schemes or these frauds or whatever, these Enron-ish events, and if you, haven't, if, you, if you don't know, if I'm talking about Enron, you don't know what I'm talking about, go read the book or watch the movie if you don't like to read. Watch the movie Smartest Guys in the Room. But the FTX bankruptcy has now taken down BlockFi, which is now filed for bankruptcy. And, and, and now one of the positive benefits of what's going on in the cryptocurrency market is all the weak players will get flushed out now. Whatever players remain in the crypto market will likely survive. That's the one good advantage of these washouts in these environments is that you get rid of the weak players. Because if you're a fraud in a weak environment, you get exposed. That's what happened to Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff was a complete fraud, right? I mean, he was he owned the brokerage firm. He owned the accounting firm. He owned the advisory firm. He was making up his own statements, issuing those out to shareholders and telling everybody he was making 12% a year. Well, in the middle of the financial crisis, he had the opportunity to walk away scot-free. He could have simply said, oh man, I put all my money in mortgage-backed subprime securities because they were yielding 12, 15, 20%. I had a locked in to make my 12% annualized return. They all went to zero. Sorry, I lost your money. Everybody would have believed him because that's what happened. I mean, entire banks were going bankrupt. So if he went bankrupt, nobody, and you just, you've already dummied up the statements. Here's all my statements with all my holdings. They all went to zero. There you go. But he published statements saying he made 12% returns in a year. The market was down 52%. Red flags went off everywhere. Right? Same thing got Alan Stanford, by the way. Right here in Houston. But the point is, is that whoever survives this will be, theoretically, there's no guarantee of this, but will likely be a more legitimate player and will likely be a stronger player that survives. So that there is, you know, so in the, in the middle of this whole debacle with FTX and now with BlockFi uh, um, filing bankruptcy, BlockFi had, is now trying to claw back shares of Robinhood from FTX, which was pledged as collateral to BlockFi. BlockFi. So it's a whole mess. You're not going to get nothing. <laughs> but you know these are this is what happens so it's always important to remember and, and and the takeaway from this is you gotta do your homework and treat your money as if you're loaning it to brent because nobody will loan money to brent <laughs> if you're willing to loan money to brent it's probably a good investment I'm just decent. All right, that wraps up the show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest uh, article is out on uh, why the next secular bear market may be coming. That's on the website now, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails, and of course, coming up in just a few minutes, we'll have our three minutes on markets and money out on the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.